Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the studio experience once more. Today we've got episode number 10, bonus episode lined up for you today, and I want to welcome my good friend Joe Chuddock. Thank you, my friend, for joining, as always. Yes, and Adam, thank you so much for being here as well and having me and facilitating this amazing conversation. And thank you to all of you who are listening, because it's awesome to have you out there as a part of this community. And, you know, we love contributing to the audio community and doing what we do with this show. So thank you for being a part of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So for today, we are going to be doing a bonus episode. We're going to be focusing on, I guess, just the idea of clipped and or limited mixes to go to mastering. So whether or not you should, maybe some pros and cons to it, both from the mixing and the mastering perspective, for those that for some reason, this may be your first episode listening, Joe's a mixing engineer. That's what you do full time. I'm a mastering engineer. That's what I do full time. So I'm curious to see from both of our perspectives, I just, our take on that. So yeah, the idea being Should I send a limited mix? Should I send a mix with a limiter on it where there's some gain reduction happening or or using a clipper, either one or maybe both? Is that a good thing to do? Is that something I should always do? Should I never do that? So I'm curious, Joe, from your perspective as a mixing engineer, what's your take on that? It depends on what's happening while I'm mixing. I used to be in the school of like, let's put a lot of stuff on the master bus. Uh, let's do some EQ, compression. Let's get the raw track sending the best they can going through the master bus. So I have to work as little as possible on the individual tracks. Mm. Um, and, and that was like a early on in the mix process thing. That was, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be on right from the start. I'd okay. play the tracks through that. They instantly would sound better. That's a perspective <laughs> thing. <Right. laughs> uh, and then I'd just do the bare minimum to the tracks. And you know what? I found that that did not work as well as I thought it would. And it took me a while to figure it out. So over time, I have switched that process and I spend extra time on individual tracks without busing. And we've, we've talked about this, I think, a little bit. And I have mm-hmm. very little on my master bus. Now, the one thing I do like to put on my master bus, depending on the mix and the style and all of that, is not compression, but limiting. Okay. I am a big fan of putting a limiter on the mix bus. Okay. Not to bring up the volume for client approval, because I only send one mix out, by the way. Mm. And I think a couple people might have questions on this. I don't care about competing with released master tracks when I send a mix. So there's not a client allowed client mix, and then the quiet one goes to mastering. Mm. I'm not a fan of that. I have that conversation with the client beforehand. There's the key. And let them know, hey, I'm not going to send you an overly loud, hyped mix. Mm-hmm. When I'm sending all these revisions, we're going to hear the mix and then we'll go from there. Basically, it's going to be quiet in mm-hmm. a way. Now, the exception to that is if I feel like the song itself could benefit from something creative like that, like a limiter or even like Devil Lock or something put on that master bus, mm. does the song require something that intense? And sometimes the answer is yes. I feel, I feel like it, it just needs that. Yeah. In a way, that's a, that's a mixed decision. And then when it does go to mastering like that, I mean, the mastering engineer is obviously told about that. Yeah. No, hey, I this, hope is, so. <laughs> this was a creative decision we made in mixing to do this. And at that point, it's like, does it even need to be mastered? Your job is not, as a mastering engineer, is not to make it louder, basically. Is it just almost like listen to it and say, hey, 
Is there anything that can change? Maybe that has to change on the mix end. It doesn't actually need mastering, but it needs that extra set of years, if that makes sense. But Well, it does. I would just tack onto that, that I think that sort of is an element of what mastering is, is listening and just saying like, you know, I may not do much at all sonically, and there may be something here or there, but I think that is the value of mastering is, is it already like so good that this is practically done? Bad mastering would say, I'm going to put stuff on it regardless and just Mm -hmm. send it out the door, which that's basically what automated mastering does. It doesn't care how good it sounds. It's just going to apply processing because it thinks it's supposed to. But part of the value is just, yeah, this sounds awesome. You guys killed it. I'm not even hardly hearing anything. So this maybe needs little, if nothing, done to it. But I think that's worth the price of admission alone. Just having, you know, someone else in a different environment listens and can confirm your suspicions. That's valuable. 100%. 100%. That's that's how I feel about it, and I try to convey that to my clients as well. But never will I send out a mix with a limiter on it in almost like a fear or a... Or just... uh, Like a competition thing. (laughs) Yeah. Just because it needs to be that loud. I trust a mastering engineer is going to get it loud. And uh, if we have specific notes on something like, hey, be really aggressive with this. Mm -hmm. We want to hear it clipping almost in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, then that'll be conveyed. But I think some people in mixing tend to just do that from the start and they mix into that. And that's hard. That's hard. Because then once you start mixing into it, Depending on how your monitoring is and what your monitoring levels add as far as like looking at the meters of your limiter or compressor or all that stuff, it can go down that road of, I can't take it off without the mix falling apart. Mm -hmm. What have we done? Right. Sort of thing. Yeah. I would interject just to say that part of what I think depends here is an experience level, because I know that there are some top dog mixing engineers that have been doing it for so long they have a very specific sound in their head. And that may or may not include a lot of master bus processing. And so for those that it does include it, the master bus may be loaded with a lot of stuff, but they're 1000% confident that this is the way I want it to sound. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, that's okay. Like, I'm who am I to say you should have done it differently? No, not at all. Like, You should do whatever fits the sound that you're looking for. But the caveat or maybe the caution I would give is if you aren't as experienced, don't just throw stuff on by default because you see other people doing it. If you're not pretty in tune with what it's doing and how it's affecting everything, and kind of like Joe, you're saying with the monitoring environment, if you're not in a very well-treated environment to be able to hear everything very accurately... A lot of that is probably guesswork, and I would err on the side of less guesswork and leave that to the next stage of quality control with mastering versus baking a lot of stuff in where, like you said, Joe, if you take it off, the mix falls apart and it's entirely different. I would say make informed decisions about why is this going on? Is it serving a purpose? Is it serving the purpose of making the song sound like I want it to, or am I just doing it because I see other other people do it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the things with a limiter, which anybody can really test this at home, is put a limiter on the mix bus and let it hit the mix pretty hard and then go like to your drums and turn up the snare drum track, the fader. There's a point where the snare drum won't get any louder with the limiter. Mm -hmm. 
even though you've got it at plus 12. <laughs> and then as soon as you take that limiter off, then you'll notice that that difference. So when right. you, if you need to use a limiter, I feel like you need to be very, very aware and cautious of yep. what it's doing. Because once you start getting to a certain point, your volume automation, your volume changes, if you're still in that stage of creating a balanced mix, is going to be skewed by the limiter. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you go back and you go, oh, I want to try the, on my FabFilter L2, I want to try the transparent rather than the aggressive. That's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. If you're hitting it with like 60 Bs of limiting. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's two different general approaches that can be valuable to know if you do want to do some bus processing and, and limiting and stuff. To what you were saying earlier about getting that like client pleasing volume level. If you're doing it to just get that level, you definitely need to be cautious again of how much is this affecting my mix? Like if it's all gone, does it sound significantly different? If so, that's a problem because when it goes to mastering, they're going to have a hard time reconstructing the sound you were getting plus actually then optimizing it to sound better because the mix is inherently not as good as it could be at that point. You had a master chain that's like compensating in all these weird ways that are compensating for decisions that should be being made on individual channels in the mix where the thing sounds just better on its own without all the master processing. And then the mastering engineer can optimize that a whole lot more with their specific tools and ears and experience. But so if the mix is falling apart when you take that off, that's a that's a really bad sign. But there's sort of the other end of it, from my perspective at least, where you might be mixing into, quote unquote, you know, you set up that chain and you sort of mix into it or you mix through it. You might be doing that in a sense to sort of prepare the mastering and the client expectation of like, okay, here's what the mix feels like pushed. And we all agree that it sounds really great. So that can sort of be the reference point of like, here's what the client has approved and the mastering engineer can know that, but here's the mix without that. And then you can do your own processing as the mastering engineer. I do think that can be valuable in the sense that the mix is sort of prepared to accept that type of processing. That's sort of how I phrase it is mm, like, mm-hmm. it's already able to handle a similar version of being pushed in that way. So then I think the mastering result can be great and then even better than the pushed mix was. So if you're doing it carefully and tastefully and not just like doing insane amounts of processing with it, that can be valuable. But to give a third perspective, you also don't have to do that at all. Kind of like Joe saying, you know, if you're if the mix doesn't necessarily need it, then just communicate with your client ahead of time. Hey, this isn't a mastered level. This is a mix. It's going to be brought up with mastering to a level that is appropriate for the industry and the genre that we're working in. But that's not what this stage is about. So as long as they understand that, then that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just had a client yesterday that I sent the mix off to and let them know that this isn't mastered yet. And there's not necessarily quiet. You have to say quiet, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a normal level of what a mix should be right? Um, for this track. And that's the thing. Like every, if you're mixing an album, each track is going to be different volumes and you have to convey that to the client. Cause I don't like putting the limiter on just to send it off to the client for listening. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't like doing that just for that. I like doing it if it's a creative decision in the mix to do it. 
Yeah, um, totally. But I guess the other aspect of that, what do you do with the clipping mix? Like, what if somebody is just like poor game staging and they're just coming into the coming into the mix boss in the red? Mm. Oh, so if it's like actually clipping, it's like coming in so hot, and then they put the limiter on top, and yeah, and you get the waveform that looks like SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> just right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do there? What do I do? Yeah. What do you do? Well. I I definitely will have a short conversation of saying, hey, I'm hearing this and I want to see if it's an option to get it without that or ask, was this the intention? Because I can't assume, you know, that something that I hear as off is automatically wrong. I may just not yet have the perspective that they have on how they want it to sound. So mm-hmm. sometimes it may just be, well, that's what it is. It's the only file I have. I don't have the session file. I can't get another mix. This is all we've got. Like, And that is obviously the least ideal scenario if they weren't necessarily hearing it or they just weren't aware of it with maybe their mixing engineer did it. And it is what it is, basically. Well, I'm going to do the best I can with that. Or maybe we can go back and get another version. But I've worked on plenty of mixes that are like audibly distorting without any mastering done at all. And so, man, that I think is a different aspect of the value of a mastering engineer is knowing how to mitigate the issues and at least tuck them away or hide them a little bit and optimize what you can optimize. And that's basically what I do. You know, it's like you just develop the skill to try to eliminate that stuff as much as possible. But it is baked in, though. That's the thing is whenever you've got a clipped mix that has distortion, either from heavy limiting or from the mix bus being clipped on the output, it's going to be a challenge. (laughs) But I mean, I've been able to deliver master files to people in those situations and they're very happy with them. So it's not the end of the world. But I think it's it's key to be sure that there is communication of, hey, this is what I'm hearing and noticing. A, can we change it? But B, if not, just know that that's not entirely going away. And, yeah. uh, and some people just want that sound. It's like it it's going to intentionally be that way. And even if I don't necessarily think it serves the song in the best way, that's not ultimately for me to decide because it's mm-hmm. not my song, it's theirs. And so I need to figure out what can I do to serve their vision for their music. 100%. It's not our call. Yeah. Which, Joe, I'm sure you probably feel that in mixing too. Not every revision request or anything like that is what would be your first choice, but... Nope. Nope. Not all the time. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the mix revisions are just small volume changes or volume rides. Like, hey, bring Mm -hmm. up like the second half of the guitar solo up an extra few dB. Mm -hmm. Okay. Other times it's like, hey, can we work on the drum sound a little bit? It's a little too big and roomy and we'd like it smaller and tighter. And that can involve going back in and sample replacing and all of that, which a small tight drum kit is not my first thing I like to go to Mm -hmm. in a mix. So it just depends, but it's all about making the client happy in the end. Mm -hmm. Whatever they're hearing, does that end up on my portfolio? Yes or no? (laughs) Depends. Right. But in the end, they're paying us. So we have to deliver the best we can while still meeting their expectations. Yeah. And I think that's really the key right there is the best we can. So it's like you may be painted into a corner with 
if you're mixing and the tracks have so much processing on them and it's irreversible, you may just have to deal with that. Or, you know, if the desired sound is pumping and distorted, you may just have to deal with that. But I think, yeah, yeah, that's a great point about, you know, like, it's not like everything we do has to go on our portfolio and like show it off like we're super proud of it. We're in a service industry, so try to make the most of the situation and have a conversation if needed, if you can do something to help optimize what you're working on to make it even better. And I would say, too, that's really valuable is communicate to the client in the interest of trying to serve you better. I think this is something we could consider and wording it in a way that is appropriate for the conversation and the person that you're talking with. But try to communicate that I'm trying to come up with the best product for you possible. That's my goal here. Yep. So if you feel like doing this and you're able to do this change will help serve your music and help it sound better and fits the vision that you have for it, then let's do that. And and if not, don't feel bad about it. This is just one of an infinite number of possibilities that we could go with. So it's it's yeah. fine if you don't want to do that. No, I agree. It's like it's like ordering food at a restaurant. Or somewhere, let's say you're going to order a pizza. You may order something that's not on their menu, Mm. like pizza with broccoli on it. (laughs) They may not advertise that. They may not recommend that as a a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. But. Or pineapple. Or pineapple, yeah. I'm one of the no pineapple belongs on pizza people. (laughs) Yep. They might not advertise that, but they're going to give you the best pineapple they can get and make the best pizza that they can. And make those two fit together the best they can. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're a good business. Yeah, if they're a good business. Exactly. Otherwise, they'll just give you a good old, you know what, <laughs> over the phone. <laughs> like or just or make do. the crappiest version. You're like, okay, you want pineapple? Here you go. And they put like a pineapple slice on it. Yeah. You want distortion on your mix? Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like 100% wet. Just total drive. <laughs> yep. Don't be that person. Yeah, don't be that person. It can turn out pretty cool, though, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. There's a story. I'm going to go into it quick. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but it's a great story. <laughs> hey, the truth doesn't matter if it's a good story. Yeah, the truth does not matter. <laughs> Never. Um, I think it was one of the Yellow Card albums. And uh, the producer blew the budget on a bunch of other stuff. And they actually ended up like tracking the record pretty quickly um, because of that. And when the mix came around, I forget who mixed it. Names are slipping me right now, but the story is that he did the mix, and it, it was great. And they sent it to the producer, and they just came back, and the label, and they just came back and said, we don't like any of it. Ooh. Nothing. Nothing about this we like. And Ouch. out of spite, he just slammed the mixes. <laughs> slammed them. How do you like that? How do you like that? Slammed the compressor, slammed the limiter, everything. But... In a way, because that engineer was so experienced, he did it tastefully in a way, (laughs) too. (laughs) Yeah, it's not just like full-on distortion. Mm -hmm. He sent those, what he thought would be over-compressed, over-limited mixes Mm -hmm. to the producer and the label. And they approved them and released them. Wow. (laughs) I forget which yellow card record it is. It might not be the one with Ocean Avenue. It might be the one right before that. It's one of those. Uh That's so awesome. It's kind of a funny story of how that actually worked out and uh any of those albums i do listen to and they do sound great Mm -hmm. so even though that engineer did it out of spite there was still a a level of respect and a trained ear behind that 
Yeah. Man, I love that because you may discover something that you wouldn't have defaulted to, but now you're like, oh, damn, I'm going to do this more often. But you Mm -hmm. never would have tried it on your own if someone else hadn't asked you to or demanded you to, you know? Yeah, if you didn't have to blow steam out somewhere. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, it may unlock a whole new world of potential for you that you know, it may just develop a different skill that you otherwise wouldn't have been developing. It's like the, to take it back to like a clipped limited master, I may just not love what I'm working on, but now I'm developing a skill of like, okay, well, in these scenarios, I'm going to have to be able to work around this. So I got to develop this skill. If if it's your first time working like that, that's mm-hmm. a reality of working in the industry. Sometimes a mix is going to be super pushed and really hot and you feel like your hands are pretty tied, but you still got to do the job at the end of the day. And so that may open up new doors for you and who knows, but just giving up and saying, screw you, that's, that's not going to get anybody anywhere. No, you can do that in different ways and still deliver (laughs) a product. Right. Right. (laughs) And with that. Yeah. I think that does it. So any final thoughts, Joe? Nope. Nope. That's it. I, I think I let it all out. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel good. This was a good therapy session. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. We are loving doing this season two, and we're going to keep new and fresh stuff coming. So be sure to tune in next week, and we'll talk to you then. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.